sticks, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Bernowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today is political and policy analyst Kristen Matheny. Kristen, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you, Mike? I am doing okay. Well, you, I guess I'm doing okay, but I actually believe I just mispronounced my last name, which is, you know, that's really weird. I can't, that can't be good, can it? Um, my name is actually Michael yeah, Baranowski. Maybe, maybe you've just been doing a lot of talking today and you, you got know, a little tongue-tied. It happens. Must, I've that, done it too. Yeah, but on my own name. Anyway, um, we'll, we'll, we'll hope I will I will rise to the occasion and not just kind of have that be the high point. So uh, I'm really looking forward to to the stuff we're going to be talking about today because, well, number one, um, you're you know newer to the show, and I think it's always great when we can talk about topics to give a sense of kind of where our host's going to stand more fundamentally on things. And uh, like it or not, right, Donald Trump is the president of the United States, and he probably will be, I'm guessing, for at least the next couple of years. And it, God help us, not more, but uh, remains to be seen. So uh, it, that kind of leads us into our first topic, right? And, and, and when we were talking about this, you know, before, this kind of things that Kristen likes about Donald Trump, I thought, isn't that be kind of an interesting thing to to, to lead with for this for this midweek show? So uh, why don't, if, if you're ready, why don't we just kind of get started with that? I am. I am ready. So uh, I have to issue a, a bit of a disclaimer. I was coming up with this list, and uh, to put this out there, I, I'm a Republican, albeit a, a bit of a libertarian leaner. And so, um, you know, I have my issues with Donald Trump. I, you know, I'm critical of him. I'm definitely not somebody who, you know, wears a MAGA hat and runs around. I, I tend to see pros and cons um, for for every president and every politician um, in terms of policy. Uh, but you know, with Donald Trump, it's 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 an interesting, it's a bit of a conundrum because he's done some things. Um, he's, he's not made good on some of his political promises. Um, some of them I, I didn't approve of. Um, but I, you know, when I, when I sat down to come up with this list, I came up with actually seven things, um, that I thought were pretty solid things, pretty, um, heavy on policy, uh, things that he's either done or he's promised to do that, that I really appreciated and I really liked. Um, because when I voted, you know, I voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Um, part of that was because I didn't want to see Hillary Clinton become president, but part of that was because I was buying some of the things he was selling. And, uh, you know, the first thing that, that I really appreciate, um, is that, and, and this is something that, uh, you know, you, you hear about it a lot, but it doesn't always make these lists that Republicans put together of the things that they really appreciate that Donald Trump has done. And, and something for better or for worse that I appreciate that he's done is that he's taken on the media. Like I said, for better or for worse, um, he's brought attention to things like inaccurate reporting and bias. Um, and of course, uh, for for a number of years, I I worked for uh, I worked in politics, but I also worked for a major uh, sort of right wing media outlet uh, very recently. And I got the, like I've said, I've got to see how the sausage was made in the sausage factory, and I was. Um, alarmed by just how biased things are, just how manufactured news is. And I know that this is something that's happened on the right and the left. And, you know, again, again a lot of people disagree with him and, and, you know, a lot of people in the media disagree with him and they, you know, they, they seem to bring up issues of free press, but I appreciate that he's taken it on because I don't know that other presidents have, have done so. What's your take, Mike? 
Uh, wow, we're gonna we're gonna agree disagree very much on this one. Um, uh, I, I all presidents shade the truth, all presidents spin. But in my lifetime, and maybe in the history of the republic, I don't know. I don't think there's ever been a president who has been. I, I, I'll be very confident in saying that there's never been a president who has there has made more verifiably false statements than Donald Trump. Um, he is the biggest liar who's ever been in the Oval Office, I believe. And uh, and whether you, however you want to measure that, and so I think certainly. The media, well, no, I won't say the media is biased. I, I say, to me, that's like saying TV is bad. I mean, right. when you talk about the media, I, I think it's very important to make some distinctions. Uh, so there's there's news reporting, there's hard news reporting, which pretty much, whether you're going for uh, AP, Reuters, uh, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, Washington Examiner, the straight ahead hard news reporting is about the same everywhere. You're not going to get huge differences, huge bias. Now, where there is bias, absolutely, is in editorial and analysis and a lot of new media, both on the left and the right. But those are very different things. And, and where I think Donald Trump has actually done an enormous disservice is he doesn't make that distinction. He'll talk about the failing New York Times and being so biased and just fake news and the media as the enemy of the people. I mean, I, I, and that to me, it goes back to what does Donald Trump care about? Donald Trump cares about Donald Trump. Uh, and, and so he doesn't care what he destroys potentially to, you know, to, to move along the project of Donald Trump's greatness, essentially. And so his strategy of trying to delegitimize any opponent, not to argue with them on factual substantive grounds, but simply to delegitimize them and to just lie like hell. I mean, we see this with individual opponents and we see it with the media as a whole. And I find that to be incredibly destructive. So while I agree with you that yes, uh, media, partisan media that distorts facts should be taken on. And that's an important and good thing to do. When you just lump all media together like the president does and basically say, well, Sean Hannity and Fox is OK and everyone else is fake news and anything that disagrees with me is not just wrong substantively, but is illegitimate. That to me is is that might be the most disturbing thing about Donald Trump to me. So that's <laughs> my view on that. And there's a lot that's I mean, it's not like, OK, let me say. It's not like we haven't seen this before. You go back to, to, to Richard Nixon and Spiro, and, and Spiro Agnew back in the 70s, who kind of started this whole thing. But once again, Donald Trump has taken this and magnified it to an extent we've never seen before. And so that, to me, is incredibly disturbing. <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I knew that you would bring up his, I mean, obvious sort of uh, love affair with Fox News and with people like Sean Hannity. And I, I'm going to go on a limb and say I agree with you completely on to that end. Um, I think that it is hypocritical. And I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of people on the right. Um, I, I think that one of the one of the biggest problems that I mean, this is obviously not something new. I think you could argue that it goes back decades, but that it, that we became very um, uh, polarized under President Obama and it was crystallized under President Trump is, you know, this this great political divide. And I would argue that um, 
one of the things that that Americans tend to do, uh, generally speaking, is, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of Americans tends to get their news from one source, whether that's social media or, you know, I have a lot of friends who just watch CNN and only watch CNN, or I have a lot of uh, friends, especially on the right, who will only watch Fox News or OAN or, you know, Newsmax or, you know, wherever they're getting their news. And a lot of people don't seek out these other sources. And one of the the biggest problems, you know, and I I was going to follow it up with the the reason I, I added the caveat for better or for worse with him drawing attention to the media is that I think sometimes it is for the worse. Um, him calling out, people like Jim Acosta um, calling out inaccurate reporting, I think is is helpful because it turns our attention to the obvious bias. And, and I disagree with you on the fact that a lot of sh- these straight laced news reporters who should be delivering straight news are, are doing just that. And I think there's been this this line that's been blurred uh, by people listening to pundits thinking that they're getting straight news mm. when they're I think there's a great misunderstanding there with uh, what constitutes news and what constitutes opinion. Um, but I, you know, I think that him in the same breath, meaning Donald Trump in the same breath, then praising people like Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson as these, you know, these like, uh, you know, guardians of the truth, I think is totally off. And I, and I think it's ill conceived and I think it's inaccurate. And so in that sense, like I said, I'm, I'm always very critical of Trump where I think Trump has, has gone astray. And I, and I would argue that that is one of those for worse situations where, you know, he's calling out the left, but why not the right? And I think it's a, I think that's symptomatic. I, you know, we, we saw Obama do this to a much lesser extent. I, I don't really remember Bush doing it too much, but I, you know, obviously I think this has become a bigger issue over the last decade. But, you know, I think we fall into this a lot where we say, well, what I believe is right. And so what I'm watching aligns with what I believe. So it's correct. And I think Donald Trump is doing that. But I would say that him drawing attention to the bias in the reporting has at least, you know, increased awareness. Um, my hope is that he tones it down and that he realizes the errors of his ways. But, you know, we all know Donald Trump doesn't do that. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. No, I, I agree with you on the blurred line between news and analysis. And I think that's a that's a really bad thing. I don't think it's happening because the people in the media are bad people. I think it's just sort of the the, the economic incentives and the structure of the business. That's kind of what you need to do to get the buzz, to get the clicks, that sort of thing. And that's just kind of how it is. And I think, you know, we so we so often focus on uh, you know, personalities and, and, and individual motives. But so much of this behavior, I think, is just driven by deeper factors like that. Um, and secondly, you mentioned CNN. And I got to say, you know, it's really sad what CNN's become. Um, CNN used to be, I used to be able to go to CNN for pretty much straight news. In fact, they used to be for just kind of quick updates on things. I just go to CNN.com and I could, but now it's just become this sort of organ of the left. and Thankfully, the AP is still there for me. But uh, and again, it's not because I don't think the people at CNN all of a sudden became worse people in some way. I think it's just they saw what that Fox News was eating their lunch, basically. And they said, well, man, we have to do something about this. And so they shifted to the left. And and I get why they did it. But I think we're all worse off for the fact that that's happening on both sides of the aisle. 
Oh, you you and I totally agree on on that particular point. I I think that um you know as somebody who was a part of that sort of like packaging and selling process of news, I mean we used to say over and over again, you know that this is our demographic. We had a very specific demographic, and that was who we were producing news for. And and that was you know we were packaging it just so we were avoiding certain words. We were you know featuring interviews with certain people in Congress, but not others um, to to play to that audience. And, and what I what what shocks me and makes me feel, you know, sort of dismayed is the fact that I have people, friends on both sides of the aisle who are willing to ignore all that. It's almost like they don't see that everything is being packaged and sold for them. And so I always, you know, tell them that the best way to get to, to get as many facts as you can is to listen to all sides. And it's, it's sad that, that we're at that point where we have to say, you know, well, I, I, I want, listen to, I watch Fox news, but I also have to watch MSNBC so that I can get a balanced perspective. Yeah. And even, you know, you may not be getting it. I mean, these newscasters, like you said, they, they mean no ill will necessarily, but they have personal biases and, and they, a lot of them have political agendas and it's no different on the right and the left. And I think it's, you know, this is this is a much bigger issue than I think, you know, we we as a country want to make it out to be. It's hard to talk about. It's very difficult to talk about this with with, you know, yeah. our friends, our family. And it really splits us in two. But I think we have to have this conversation. And I, for one, I'm glad that that Trump has put a spotlight on it again, for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, well, well, in that sense, I, I can sort of see that. And, you know, something you you mentioned made me wonder, maybe the way to approach people about this is, is to kind of hit on the angle of, you know, do you realize you're being manipulated, you're being used, and no one likes to feel like they're being a chump? And, you know, I, I kind of feel this, that, that with like with President Trump, that he's getting all this information from these people, and clearly they are trying to use him for their own ends. And maybe the way to get people to be a little more balanced in that is to kind of play on that sort of concern that people have is that they are being used, you know, as something to try to get people to break out of that bubble, which is obviously really tough to do. Right. But it's, you know, it's, it's not easy to listen to something that you, that you do, yeah. or at least that you perceive to disagree with, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's something that, I mean, I, I think just because of my, you know, career path and my life experiences, I've had to do it. Um, I actually don't like engaging in, in conflict. I hate confrontation, um, you know, but but these these discussions, not necessarily debates, but discussions are critical. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I hate the I, I, I don't want to say I, I hate twice, but I I loathe the phrase that uh, to hate watch something. I have a lot of friends on the right and the left who say, well, I hate watch Sean Hannity or I hate watch. Uh, you know, whoever on CNN, MSNBC, Rachel Maddow, and I, and I think it's it's terrible. It's it's not. You're not watching. You know, it it just kind of goes to show you that all of this is entertainment. It's it's yeah. packaged for you, and um, it shouldn't be el eliciting these emotions. It should be starting conversations. But you know, say la vie. Like I like I say, if I wish people would listen to us, but <laughs> no, yeah, I don't. I think, and so the more general point, you know, Donald Trump has brought a lot of things to a head, and in that sense, maybe it's maybe it's maybe he's positive, and so I actually can I I can I can see that point. Yeah, all right. <laughs> what else? What else you got for me? Okay, so so the the second point, and I um, you know, this one, this was one I was I was rolling around in my head quite a bit, but it's that uh, uh, President Trump has stepped away from 
harmful uh, foreign policy blunders. Um, the one that comes to mind, I mean, there have been a few, but the one that comes to mind is the Iran nuclear deal. That's sort of the big one that sticks in my head. But more importantly, and this is kind of what I wanted to focus on, is that he's opened up uh, dialogues with enemies such as uh, North Korea. Um, I, I, I thought that that was, it was one of those moments last year that, you know, meant something. And then obviously, you know, other things sort of usurp the news cycle, but that is important and they're about to meet again. And so, um, you know, I, I really wanted to touch on that. Um, and, and I wanted to talk about sort of opening up that dialogue and, and, um, I guess, streamlining foreign policy. Well, I guess I would say that on, but we, we might disagree on well, we definitely disagree on the Iran thing. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily see it as a foreign policy blunder, but I, you wanted to focus on North Korea, and and I'm wondering, do you think that given the development of North Korea's nuclear program, which had nothing to do with Donald Trump per se, I mean, I think that it's very there's a good likelihood that whoever was president at that time would have been forced to do something, take a different path, given the extent to which their program development. And so it wasn't necessarily a Trump thing. It was just the nature of North Korea's nuclear development. What do you think? Well, I, I've had this conversation uh, with my husband quite a bit because, um, you know, I, I actually ran over this list with him and, and we discussed everything going on with North Korea and some of the other foreign policy things that that came up last year with Syria, the Iran nuclear deal, things like that, um, the, um, the accords. So, you know, regarding North Korea, um, he brought up that point and I thought it was a good one that, you know, this would have come to a head no matter who was in office. And there, there are a lot of things like that, I think, for every president. Um, these things just sort of come about organically. And perhaps, um, you know, Kim Jong-un had just reached a point where, um, you know, there was just so much PR and so much bad press and there was so much pressure being put put on him and, and on the United States and whoever was president would have fallen into this role. Um, it's sort of like when a president deals with a natural disaster, it's coming, they have right. to deal with it, you know, and, and how they deal with it is is and how they walk away from it is what's important and what we remember. And, and obviously some leaders have done it better than others. But um you know, what's interesting about this is I, I agree with you to some extent. Um, and when there was this 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 play going back and forth, it felt like play. That's the best word I can come up with between the two of them sort of um, like chastising each other and poking at each other, kind of poking the bear, poking the bear back and forth. It felt very immature and very, you know, kind of middle schoolish, I guess you could say. Um, and what came of it was this summit where we opened up this dialogue and I and I you know, I certainly don't disagree that South Korea had quite a bit to do with it, that, um, you know, President Moon had, had a big role in this. Um, but, you know, I think that it's helpful, especially I think a lot of people for, for many, many years played down the role of North Korea in terms of global politics. Um, you know, I myself admit that for a long time, I didn't see them as a threat. I thought maybe they are they trying to sell their nuclear weapons? You know, I had a lot of different theories over the years. but. Um, you know, I, I think that, that North Korea had been an issue for so long and we had just maintained this strategic 
uh, sort of silence and this this strategic peacekeeping where we just sort of ignored them and they ignored us. And, you know, Obama did this, Bush did this. This is, you know, Clinton arguably did a bit more. But, you know, I, I, over the decades, this just sort of mounted and mounted and mounted. And I was happy to see that that Trump did something. Was it the way that I would have handled it? No. You know, and it wasn't very presidential. And I think that that was what a lot of critics said is that this is very, you know, this is very childish and presidential. But I have to say that it worked because I do think that that is ultimately what brought Kim Jong-un to the table. Yeah, well, I guess I will. I'll agree in one sense on that, in that in that I'll kind of critique my own sort of disagreement with your original (laughs) argument. And that, yeah, I've always had a problem with that argument of, well, someone else, if they had been president, they would have done this or done this and more because that's, you know, arguing the negative. And and that's a that's a I, I believe whether people do it knowingly or not, it's not a fair argument. It's not an intellectually honest argument in many cases. You know, we deal with the situations we have with the president we have, and it's unfair to not give Donald Trump credit for coming to the table and negotiating, which I believe is the right thing to do. Now, that being said, I think we're in a situation where, or it wouldn't be surprised me, plenty of presidents have tried to work out some sort of agreement and North Korea has always been sort of like you know, Lucy pulling away the you know football from Charlie Brown kind of thing. And so I will give Donald Trump credit for talking, but I would not be surprised if he's being wildly over op- overly optimistic in terms of his being able to achieve anything. So, um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, so far it sounds like, and again, you know, so I'm kind of just pushing Iran to the side, that would be a whole other issue. But I think so far I can... I can at least, if I sort of take your two points and sort of twist them a little bit, at least, I can, I can agree with you that these things are positives about Donald Trump in some way. So I don't know if we're going to go three for three, but I'm dying to, I'm dying to hear your third thing. I don't know, because I, this, this last issue is uh, one, of, one of the things that um, I've argued about, I can't really say argued, I've discussed with um, you know people on the left. And I think I, I have a, a, a guess as to how this is going to end, end up. And it kind of comes down to your view of the Constitution. Um, and, and I'm sure we will get into that. But the third thing is um, that Trump nominated these uh, originalists uh, to the Supreme Court, and they were subsequently confirmed. Um, and uh, you know, obviously Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are, you know, on the Supreme Court now. And, you know, there's been this back and forth. And and I think really what it, I, again, I'm, I'm going to preempt the conversation say what it really boils down to is whether, you know, originalism is, is the way to go in terms of putting people on, you know, on the Supreme Court who agree with the original meaning of the Constitution. I would argue yes. But again, you know, I'm a, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, of, of originalism when it comes to the Constitution. I consider myself a constitutionalist. But on the other foot, there are a lot of people who say that the Constitution is a living document, sort of aligning more with the left-leaning justices or, you know, the presumed to be left-leaning justices. And so, you know, I would argue that that was really, really important as somebody who um, aligns with that policy perspective. So I don't know. What is what is your take to, I guess, tell me what you think? <laughs> we are not going three for three. That's what I think. <laughs> I think well, 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 let me say you're absolutely right about what it boils down to. I mean, in theory, I also am an originalist. But when I study the rulings of originalists, uh, it amazes me how consistently 
they track with their ideological predispositions. And so I think originalism, if practiced honestly by a superhuman human being who can actually separate their ideology from their interpretation of the document, is absolutely the way to go. But I think that just doesn't happen in, in, in practice. And so, and, and so in terms of Donald Trump's nominations, you're absolutely right. Not just the Supreme Court, but I would say he's, he's really remade the federal courts in part because of the removal of filibuster for, uh, uh, for federal, for federal judge nominees. And that was done back, I believe when the Democrats controlled the, controlled the Senate, but that's given him the ability to remake that. And that in a, in some way you can argue is in a sense, almost more lasting because so many cases get decided there and never get to the Supreme court. But on the Supreme court, certainly we see Gorsuch and, and, and Kavanaugh and, you know, there's a decent chance he'll get one more shot at it. Um, to me, what's the big concern is, of course, they're originalists, but to me, the concern is the expansive view of executive power, both Gorsuch and especially Kavanaugh have. And I can see where someone like Donald Trump would be really up for that kind of thing. And that may come into play pretty soon in a number of contexts. So I'm not against originalism. Uh, if people were, if, if, if men were superhuman angels, but they're not. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, to me, oftentimes it's just sort of code for whoever the Federalist Society decides are the most conservative justices. <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree with you uh, that I think it's impossible um, to be completely unbiased and to, to remove your political ideologies and dispositions from, you know, from your judgment, even these, you know, larger than life Supreme Court justices, because this is what they've become. I, I mean, you know, they're deciding the biggest cases, you know, in, in the courts in the country. And, um, you know, they've become almost like superhuman. I mean, I saw a, a, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg action figure the other day and people are wearing shirts with her face. I mean, this is really what yeah. they've become. And, um, you know, he, he has, I would argue that it was the, the, the biggest impact that he will have lasting, um, you know, well into, you know, well into adulthood for my children will be sort of transforming these courts, the federal court system, is, as you mentioned. Um, but, you know, again, it, it's one of those things where we ended a stalemate because when I've had this conversation with people on the left, it usually ends with, and, and I'm, I'm, it's interesting that you bring up that you are an originalist, but you know, in a, in a perfect world sort of a situation. And I, I agree with you. Um, I, you know, but that, but I think what it boils down to is your view of how this will all play out and how the constitution should be interpreted. And it, and it, it has become overly politicized. I mean, you know, how, I guess, how unbiased could it be when a decision comes up and you hear somebody say, you hear a pundit or somebody say something like, well, just take it to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, you know, the, the Court of Appeals. And, and you know, it, it just, right. these, these different federal courts, these different federal courts have been relied upon to make these political decisions. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, at the same time, you know, like, I also second guess what I say, um, you know, is it because these people are staunch conservatives? You know, probably, probably. But I do appreciate that they are originalists. And, you know, again, this is one of those things that would, you know, this this is something that organically 
you know, fell in his lap when he became president. Um, you know, any other Republican uh, president probably would have been in the same position. I'm guessing these justices would have retired or, you know, obviously, you know, passed away, whatever. And, you know, they would have been faced with making these same nominations. Would they have made the same nominations? I don't know. You know, probably Jeb Bush would have made similar nominations, but, you know, maybe not, depending on who had become president. But, you know, had it been a Democrat who had been elected Hillary Clinton, I mean, we, we obviously would have seen a very different court system. So I would oh, argue... Yeah. Now, impact is huge. Yeah, now, <laughs> now, now you're making me all wistful and sad and so forth. <laughs> Not that I was, uh, I mean, I was definitely a kind of a extraordinarily reluctantly vote for Hillary Clinton. But of course, the one thing that I was thinking about was, oh, the court, maybe we can remake the court. And but anyway, that didn't go out. That didn't turn out too well for my side of the aisle. That's for sure. No, and it, it, it's funny because the, the rallying cry of, um, you know, I have a handful of friends who uh, are Republicans, but, you know, they tend to be um, a bit more, I guess, I hate using the word establishment because, again, it's such a dirty word, but I don't know that it is a dirty word. You know, these establishment Republicans who were, you know, behind people like Jeb Bush or, um, you know, John Kasich or something like that, they, they, a lot of them voted for Trump because of the court. And that was, that sort of became a rallying cry. I saw that a lot on Facebook, you know, vote, vote for him, yeah. if nothing else, because of the court. And I imagine it was identical on the left. And, yeah. and you bring up a really good point. But, uh, you know, because of that, it, you know, it, it's a big issue. And it's obviously something I approved of. So I thought I would give it a whirl. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, and on that end, it certainly worked out really well for the right. I think there's, there's little question uh, about that. You know, uh, I know we got, we got a, a little bit of time yet. And the other thing, and we were kind of batting around sort of the, the flip side of this, if you will, right, is, uh, the whole issue of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who all of a sudden she's like the the you know, the, the big new thing uh, <laughs> on the left, and uh, you know the, all this talk about well, is she the Democrats Trump? And you know that's kind of an interesting question. Um, and on the Facebook group uh, for for the last couple of weeks, I, I posted a few things that were critical of her. And I've been accused of being this kind of old guy saying, you know, get off my lawn, you kids and that sort of thing. And, 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 you know, I wanted to point out here that I, I have no problem with, with, with her gender or her age or anything like that, but I really do think there's something to this. Um, and so I kind of sat down to really think about this and I actually came up with, you know, you have, you have a list of three reasons that kind of you are at least okay with some of what Trump's done, even if you don't like him as a person. Now, I have no opinion about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as a person. She may be a truly lovely individual as a you know human being, but I actually came up with a list of, believe it or not, um, eight similarities between her and Trump. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Okay, uh, now I'm just going to read the big <laughs> list, and then we can kind of hit some of the main ones. But I'm a I'm a, I'm a big list maker, so. Here are, my, uh, here are my eight things. Inexperience, impulsiveness, narcissism. They're dividers, not uniters. They're masters of social media. They don't really care about budgets. They have a huge lack of humility, and people support them mainly because they make them feel good about themselves. So that's my big list. There's a lot of stuff in a kind of a short thing. But uh, uh, do you have any kind of initial take on that? Well, you know, 
um, one of the things that that Ocasio Cortez is really fond of saying over and over again is sort of this: um, she loves to taunt the right, right? So, yeah. so you know, as somebody on the right, um, somebody who's not too far away from her in age, I'm, you know, like I, I have a few years on her, but you know, we're 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 not that dissimilar in terms of age. We're obviously the same gender, and again, like I, you know, like you said, I have nothing, absolutely nothing against her as a person. I don't know her, you know, I, I you know, I'll, I would vote for anybody if I agreed with them. And, and um, but I don't agree with her. And one thing that she's been saying is she's been doing this taunting that sounds awfully familiar. You know, it sounds a lot like what Trump likes to do. And it sounds a lot like what he did, especially during his campaign. And she loves to, to say things like um, the right is afraid of me. And she looks right into the camera when she says it. She's very challenging. And I think that your points, especially your points about narcissism, um, I think you said impulsiveness uh-huh. and um, and and uh, d- just sort of this uh, political outsider, um, you know, polarizing people on the left or on the right. I think that that those points are very, very accurate. Now, I, I would disagree. She doesn't scare me, per se. She perplexes me, but she doesn't you know, she doesn't scare me. But I, I think that, um, you know, I would imagine if I if I put on another pair of shoes, you know, I would imagine that all the taunting on Donald Trump's part had a very similar effect on people who were on the left. You know, they were confused by it and they were perplexed by it. How could people how could people vote for her or for him? You know, how could people get behind what he's saying? And, you know, I've had I can't the, the, the question I get asked more often than any other question politically is, why did you vote for him? People can't understand it. Yeah. And I think that this has done the same thing on the left as Donald Trump did for the right, is it's caused a lot of people on the right to ask the question, how could you have voted for her? Don't you think what she says is crazy? So I think in that sense, they're mere images. And I think you're spot on. Yeah. Well, you know, of all those things I mentioned, like I said, the one that bothers me most, and I, I see this in a lot of people in, in the modern world, um, it, is that lack of humility. Um. Humility, I think, is probably the most underappreciated of all the virtues. And, and I, I think I would argue that modern society just isn't set up to reward or, or appreciate humility. And I mean, I'm politically, fundamentally, I, I'm a Burkean. And, that, <laughs> and what that means, and Jay and I have talked about that, maybe listeners think ad nauseum, is because he's a Burkean as well, is that you believe that human beings are, are, are flawed incredibly limited creatures and that the moment when you start to think you have all the answers is the moment you need to you need to check yourself um and more and more we don't do that and so i'm not blaming her in in a way you know it's hey she's she's what she's 29 Uh, donald Mm -hmm. trump is what 71 i mean so there's a you know i I, so maybe it's just a matter of you know you 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 get experienced and you learn and you be you become humbled by life in some ways that clearly hasn't happened to happen to Donald Trump, but that to me is incredibly disturbing. And I don't blame Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for, for not being humble, not being humble is what's gotten her where she is today. It's what, it's what's rewarded. And so to me, that's a deeper problem. And when I start to really think about 21st century America or the West in the 21st century, that's the kind of thing that just, just makes me really, really worry in, in a, a really deep kind of uh, way. So that's, uh, you know, but also I wanted to say, I think there are some really important differences between them. So I, I can see in some superficial ways and maybe some not superficial ways 
where people who make this point are right. But also, I got to point out the differences. Obviously, policy. I mean, I I think in some cases, uh, Ocasio-Cortez goes too far. In some cases, I know she goes too far. But in terms of policy, I certainly agree with her a lot more than Donald Trump. Uh, obviously, she's different in terms of demographics. Uh, she's different in terms of the big money connections that she doesn't have so much, nearly as much as Donald Trump. She has way less reach. You wouldn't know that by listening to the mainstream media or especially the inside the beltway media. But Donald Trump is a much bigger name than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but I think, and this is totally a personal opinion, and I could be way wrong. My sense is that Donald Trump is legitimately psychologically damaged, whereas Ocasio-Cortez might just be, you know, immature. And so to me, Donald Trump is at least potentially dangerous, whereas for right now, Ocasio-Cortez is kind of a flavor of the month sort of person. And maybe she will become a big player. Maybe she won't. But right now, it's just a thing. The media is focusing on her radical kind of nature and so forth and her ability to use social media. But right now, kind of, will she be a flash in the pan? I don't know. But what I do know is Donald Trump isn't a flash in the pan. He's president of the United States of America. Yeah, I, I got, I have to say something, um, Know, not necessarily about Donald Trump being not psychologically okay, but sort of touching, sort of touching on your um, your comment that um, that sh- is she scary? You know, is is she somebody we should be concerned about? Um, I I've heard a lot of people say, and I and I see I've seen a lot of vilification of her. You know, these pictures of her making these you know very like erratic gestures, and people saying she's crazy and she's this and she's that I agree with you. I don't know that that she's crazy. I think she I think she believes like a, like a lot of politicians who have um you know differing views. People like Ron Paul. I mean, people love to point at him and say that guy's crazy, but if you listen to him, you know, he he might make sense. He does to me. So, you know, she makes these emphatic gestures and and her, you know, her policy, I couldn't agree less with her policy, but um, you know, I I think that she um I think that that her being dangerous is kind of is, is a bit of overreach, especially, you know, right leaning pundits like to say that I don't know that that's accurate. What scares me is is not her. What scares me is that there are a lot of people. I mean, obviously, she got elected, that there are a lot of people who uh, listen to her. And, and you also mentioned another point, which is that liking her makes people feel good. And, and, and uh, you know, they're listening to her and they're saying, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Again, it's identical to, to what has happened on the right. A lot of people listen to Donald Trump and say, yeah, that's good. That's good. And again, I imagine it, it's a mirror image. But, you know, listening to Ocasio-Cortez talk and then seeing people uh, you know, f- emphatically agree with her and watching her get elected is frightening to me um, because her policy is so far off base. And again, what that amounts to is me disagreeing with her policy. But, um, you know, I, I listened to, I've mentioned Joe Rogan a couple of times, but he had a great, uh, a great episode on his podcast last year. And it was this uh, sociologist that was talking about how um, liking certain political figures, political decisions, agreeing with certain things sort of gives you this social currency and it makes you feel good. And I think that that plays really nicely into what you were saying about narcissism, that, um, you know, we're so focused on trying you know, with social media and everything else, we're, we're so focused on trying to look good and sound good and be these moral, you know, these moral figures that we've kind of gone away from that Burkean mentality, like you mentioned of, you know, have, being humble and, and having humility and, 
um, understanding that we're not perfect. We're trying to be perfect and we, therefore we view ourselves as perfect. So I, I do see a lot of that happening on the right and on the left and, and with her, with these polarizing figures, people what she's saying is moral and I'm a moral person. And so they, you know, they back her and they feel like they obtain some like social currency from that. And so, you know, that scares me in itself for the same reasons that people liking Donald Trump and, you know, that making them feel good scares you probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, you know, it's a, it's a whole other, I mean, that's another episode for another day, but it's, you know, it's a really interesting point to make. I've been seeing a lot of that with her and it's, it's, it's forced a lot of questions into my mind about, you know, will we ever come back from that? Are we just too far gone? Did Donald Trump do this? Did, you know, who did this? So it's symptomatic of that. I think she's a, she's a byproduct of what we've become, I guess you could say. (laughs) Well, you know, I I agree with all that. And before I can just picture folks already, Mike, once again, you're hating, you're this old white guy hating on on Ocasio-Cortez. First off, I want to say I'm not all that old. I am white, but you know, there's nothing I could do about either of those things. But in any case, you know, I want to make a counter argument because I think it's important. Part of it uh, is that I think in some way, at least from a policy perspective, you know, you mentioned uh, Ron Paul. I think people like Ocasio-Cortez and Ron Paul from a policy perspective are a positive good for this country because it's important to have some people who are out there pushing the boundaries and getting us to think about these different things, whether it's on the right or the left. And so in some way, even though I disagree with them, I am grateful for them to be out there to disagree with. Now, I don't want those people to be president of the United States on the left or the right. I'd like to think that kind of the further you go up in these positions of responsibility, the more kind of humble you have to be. But I am glad Ocasio-Cortez is bringing up these policy ideas so at least they can be talked about. So I am not a hater. I just got to say that. And so I wanted to kind of end on that much more positive note. Maybe that'll get me out of a little bit of trouble. I don't know. No, I, I doubt it. I, I never thought you were a hater, not for a second, Mike. I am not a hater. Let's let's close with that. And again, folks, uh, thanks so much for listening to the show. And if you want to be a, a supporter of the show on Patreon, we would really appreciate it. Go to patreon.com slash politics, guys. You can see all the great extra stuff you can get, bonus material for being a supporter. Also, subscribing to the show really helps, as does sharing episodes. And if you can leave a review or rating on iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using, that would be very helpful as well. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, and Benji Fishman. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.